We will be in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. I'll address that shortly, but Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, they actually go together as a single composition. And Father, now we do wait for You. Come among us. Father, awaken our minds if they are sleepy. Grip our attention if it is prone to wonder. Don't let the enemy pluck the seed off the pathway that You have sown to sink into our hearts and give us strength and courage and faith. Help us now as we hear Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep, calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love. And at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Uh, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is a song about a believer in deep distress. Depression is, in fact, not too strong of a word here. This man feels cut off from God, abandoned by Him. He sought the Lord and the Lord has not answered. And yet he persists. He continues crying to God. He believes uh, the Lord can help and will help. And yet he is perplexed as to why it hasn't happened yet. And so he persists. Uh, he continues to cry out to God. I mean, have you ever been there? In that dark place where it feels like God is not listening. What do you do then? 
Well, that's what we want to look at here this morning in these Psalms. Martin Lloyd-Jones mentioned earlier, uh, called this a time of spiritual depression. When it feels like your soul has been abandoned by God. And again, what do you do then? How do you fight for joy when God seems to be so distant? Uh, Structurally, as I mentioned, these two psalms really are a single song in three parts. If you'll notice, it's like a three-verse hymn where each verse ends with the same chorus. You notice that verses 1 to 5 is the first verse. Uh, Verses 6 to 11, the second. And the third is then Psalm 43 itself. Each ending the same way. Uh, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And so, we begin here with a believer in a time of deep distress. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you are there. When your heart is full of sorrow and you feel cut off from God. I mean, listen to him again in those opening verses. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Do you see the picture? This man is longing for God, but he can't find Him. By the way, that's how we know that he is a believer. He wants God. Only a believer wants God like this. He's thirsty for the presence of God, like a, like a deer trapped in a dry desert, longing for refreshing streams. He says, I thirst for God. Do you know anything of this thirst for God's presence? This longing to draw near to God and yet being unable to find Him? Knowing that your soul misses Him. Do you ever find yourself in that kind of condition? That dry time spiritually, dryness emotionally. You ever go there and wonder if you're even a believer at all because God seems so distant. Let me give you just a little encouragement here. This is a common experience of genuine believers. Some of the old saints called it the dark night of the soul. That this soul dryness does not mean you don't know God. It means you're in a dry time. It means that for whatever reason, God has withdrawn the comfort of His presence from you. Sometimes through sin, yes. Sometimes, hear me, sometimes so that you will miss Him and you will seek Him. Psalm 63.1, we heard earlier, says, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now David said that. David, the man after God's own heart, wrote those words. He knew God and yet he experienced this dryness. And dear one, you will have dry times. And only dry times, notice there will also be sad times. Look at verse 3. My tears 
have been my food day and night while they keep saying, where is your God? This is a sadness of soul. My tears, he says. That's all I'm eating. I've lost my appetite. I'm not eating food. I'm just eating this, this, this tear. I'm weeping in the night, yet God doesn't seem to hear me. Oh, he says in verse 2, when will I appear before God? Literally, when shall I see His face? I want His presence. I want His comfort. But I can't find it. And I want Him because He's the living God. He's not one of these dead idols. I don't care about those. Don't bring me an idol. I want the nearness of God. Psalm 73, 28, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And if I can't find the nearness of God, what good do I have? You ever been in that state and condition? Wanting God? Needing God, but unable to find Him. And then your, then your unbelieving friends chime in. Where is your God? What God? There is no God. You're a fool. Your faith is challenged. It's rocked. This is where you're tempted to give up. This is where you're tempted to chuck it all and walk away. You understand, suffering can do a number on your soul if you let it. I've seen that so many times. This question of evil and suffering in the world. And if there's a God, why am I suffering like this? And if I'm suffering and He loves me, why is He letting me go through this? Have you been there? Doubtless many of you have. But then memory kicks in. Verse 4. Memory kicks in and He remembers those times when God was near, verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I, would, how I would go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Notice how his mind goes back to better days, to glad days, when in fact he was leading God's people to the temple in worship. If you look back at the beginning of this psalm, you'll notice the heading says that it is a psalm written by one of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. Who were they? They were Levites. They were priests appointed by David in the book of Chronicles to lead God's people in worship. And they they did so for centuries. And so this priest is looking back and remembering better days when when God did seem near and He led the people in worship. And there were festivals and, and songs and celebration. And that's a good thing. To remember those. It's also a hard thing. It's a good thing, first of all, because times of gathered worship like this build up our faith and our resistance against the coming accusations of the enemy. Right? Church, this time that we spend together each Sunday is so very important as we sing and celebrate and worship and hear from God's Word, as Warren said earlier. This time is important because as we are here, we are, we are building faithful memories of God's presence that will sustain us in those dry times that are coming. Oh church, that's why you need to drink this in every opportunity that you have. And teach your children to, to drink this in while they can so that when those times of dryness come, and you wonder if you've ever known God, if He was ever real at all, you can look back with memory and say, yes, His presence has sustained me in times past. 
Do you understand what we need more than anything when we gather as a church is we need God's presence. We don't need lights. We don't need lasers. We don't need smoke and mirrors and entertainment. In fact, when a church presents those things instead of simply the Word, the sacraments, the truth, when they go to those things, they sin against their people and God because they rob them of the one thing they need and substitute sorry nonsense. We need God. You need God. I need God. And we find Him where He said He would be found. So it's good to look back and remember, but it can also be hard because remembering the sweetness of God's presence in those good times can make it harder in the bad times when you can't seem to find Him. Right? And you say, where did I go wrong? How did I lose Him? Which brings us to this fifth verse. The first of these three choruses repeated where we find our way back to joy. Or at least we begin that process. Notice what the psalmist is doing in this fifth verse. Notice that he is he's speaking to himself. He is confronting himself in his sense of depression. He asks himself a question. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he exhorts himself, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Do you see what's happening there? Rather than just sitting and taking it, rather than just wallowing in his feelings of depression, he gets up and he confronts himself. Oh church, listen, this is so vitally important for the health of your soul. I want to spend just a little bit of time on it. Three things we see the psalm doing intentionally as he finds himself in this black place. First of all, he acknowledges it. Acknowledge what you feel. Acknowledge it. The, the psalmist doesn't pretend it's not true. He doesn't deny these things that he is feeling. He says, verse 3, I'm full of sorrow. Verse 6, my soul is downcast. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. My soul is in a fix. I think sometimes in our attempts to appear spiritual, even to ourselves, we deny the fact that we're in trouble. We deny the fact that, that God does seem distant, that I'm drowning spiritually, that I'm filled with anxiety, that I need help. No, no, the psalmist faces that head on. He says, this is my condition. This is where I am. But then second, he questions those feelings. Friend, question your feelings when they begin to take control. I'm afraid we live in an age that simply assumes that whatever I feel must, of course, be true or I wouldn't feel it. So if I feel abandoned, it's because I must be abandoned. If I feel that no one loves me, well, of course, it's because no one does love me. If I feel hopeless, well, it must surely be hopeless. We listen to those feelings as if they're speaking truth. Hear me, they're not. They're not. So the first thing you must learn to do in these conditions is question your feelings. Take them to task. They don't just believe what your emotions are telling you. Emotions lie. They're good at it. Feelings can be false. Question them. Notice how he does this in verse 5. Notice he is speaking again to his own soul. Why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Come on, soul! What's wrong with you? Why are you being like this? Don't you know what a great God we have? 
Don't you know how faithful He is? So how can you sit here stewing in your depression? I know that you are, but, but why are you doing so? So get up and put your hope in our God. Notice He's reasoning with Himself. He's battling with Himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the book that Warren mentioned earlier, uh, Spiritual de- Depression, uh, really has a great section in the first chapter on this very issue. And he says there that we must learn to practice speaking to ourselves rather than just letting ourselves speak to us. You know that little voice in your head that keeps telling you in such times how bad you are and how bad things are and how hopeless it all is? Yeah, I've got one of those too. I think we all do at times. And Jones says the whole trouble is we keep letting that inner voice do all the talking. No, he says, get hold of self. Get hold of that self. Give it its face. Make it hear the truth. Little section from Lloyd-Jones' book. He says the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to yourself, why are you cast down? What business do you have to be in turmoil? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and that God has pledged Himself to do so much for you. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people, and defy the devil, and the whole world, and say, I will praise Him, my salvation, and my God. He continues, the essence of this matter is to understand that this self of ours, this other man within us, has got to be handled. Do not listen to Him. Turn on Him. Speak to Him. Condemn Him. Upbraid Him. Encourage Him. Remind Him of what you know instead of listening placidly to Him and allowing Him to drag you down and depress you. For that is exactly what He will always do if you allow Him, or perhaps her, to be in control. In other words, here's the third thing. Acknowledge your feelings. Question them. Third, fight back against that inner voice of depression with the hope of God's promises. End of verse 5, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Remind yourself that the day of salvation has come in Christ and the full salvation is coming, that, that this God is your God and that He's faithful. Don't just give in to those feelings of despair. Learn to press the hope of His promises against them. Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You take hold of that. Yes, I'm weeping now, but soul, this is not where it ends. Not with God in the mix. His promises are sure. So question your feelings. Press the truth upon them. Listen, trust the truth, not the feelings. And yet, let's be honest, this is just the beginning of the battle. You can speak the truth to yourself. You must speak it to yourself. But does that mean the darkness will automatically lift? 
No, you understand the heart is a complex thing. So what do you do? Second, when depression keeps closing in and you still feel abandoned by God. Notice how he moves on in verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to, to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers and your waves have gone over me. A day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Notice, notice, he knows the truth. He's got his theology straight. He, he's proclaimed it to himself, and yet, the depression will not lift. Do you understand? Some of you especially know this. Depression is not a tame beast. For many, it does not. Now, some of that's disposition, some of it's place where you are in life, but all of us will face this at times. Sometimes it simply refuses to be tamed. Besides that, his circumstances haven't changed yet. He's still alone. He's still isolated from God. His enemies are still taunting him. Sometimes we expect that prayer will bring an instant change and we're discouraged, we're, we're downcast even more when it hasn't. We light that one candle against the darkness and think it will lift. But what if it doesn't? The scene pictured in verses 6 and 7 is one of continuing isolation and deepening feelings of abandonment. The places he mentions here are, are, are far up to the north at the very edge of Israel and beyond the borders of Israel. If this psalm was written when we think it probably was, this would have been during the exile after 587 B.C. when mighty Babylon had come and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and carried so many of God's people away into exile. The places mentioned here are on the way to that exile. And so this Levite, this former leader of worship in the now destroyed temple is a captive and has been forced from his home and is being dragged to a place he does not want to go. And he says, I'm so depressed. I'm here in this exile looking back and remembering all that I have lost. The description in verse 7 is not picturing a peaceful mountain scene where he's gone camping. I think we tend to read it if we read that in isolation. The scene in verse 7 is picturing a place of great turmoil and anguish. Deep calls to deep, meaning the depths of depression uh, are taking hold of me. The roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I'm overwhelmed. He says, I'm drowning in anxiety. I can't catch my breath. I've been swept off my feet. Everything seems out of control. He's isolated and alone, cut off from the presence of God, cut off from fellowship with other believers. And yet again, verse 6, he says, I remember. You see that? I remember in the midst of his sorrow and anxiety, he remembers God. Oh, saints, remember God in your sorrow. 
Sometimes that takes a Herculean effort aided by the Spirit because it's not where your mind is bent. But remember Him in that place of turmoil and uncertainty. Remember Him when you've been swept off your feet by circumstances and can't seem to get your footing. Remember Him. That's what He's doing in verse 8. By day, He says, the Lord commands His steadfast love. And at night, His song is with me, a, a prayer to the God of my life. Listen to that. Friend, listen. This is a lifeline for you when you find yourself in that dark and confusing place. He remembers. What does He remember? Verse 8, I remember that the Lord commands His steadfast love. What is that? Remember that word hesed? The steadfast love of the Lord that never changes. He's reminding Himself of the covenant faithfulness and the promises of God. His hesed, His steadfast love, His unchanging faithfulness and commitment to His people that is working all the time through times that are good and times that are bad, times that are clear and times that are confusing. The same steadfast love is what Jeremiah sings about at almost exactly the same time historically. When Jerusalem lies in ruins, Lamentations 3.21, Jeremiah says in the midst of his pain, but I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He reminds himself of this. He reasons with Himself in the dark. The darkness has not lifted, but He speaks truth to Himself. He, he throws Himself upon this anchor and clings to it in the midst of the storm and the darkness that are raging. And notice how He reminds Himself. How He remembers these things. Verse 8, again, And at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I've underlined that passage. He says it's at night. It's still night. The darkness has not lifted. Things are not better. But in the heart of that darkness he's experienced, what is he doing? He's singing. He's singing his faith. He's praying his faith. And he doesn't do these things. He doesn't sing this song or pray this prayer because suddenly all is better and he feels wonderful. He's doing these things in spite of the fact that nothing is better yet. He, he defies the darkness with the light of this song. And notice he says it is God's song. His song is with me. The song of the gospel. The song of hope. The song of his promises. I'm singing them. I'm singing it in the dark because God has given it to me. And as I sing this song in the dark, God is present whether I feel Him or not. Amen. Listen, friend, this is how you battle for the sanity of your soul when you feel like you're going mad. You sing God's song of truth to the very heart of the darkness. You pray not because you feel like praying, but because you must pray. And you must have God. Listen, stop letting your feelings dictate whether or how you approach God and let your approach to God dictate what you're feeling. I mean, do you see the point? Take the fight to them. Defy those feelings. You see, this fight, in this fight, the believer is not passive. Don't just accept 
that you're feeling this way and there's nothing you can do about it, as if, the, as if you're out of options, don't give in and just let those feelings begin to reign. Fight back with truth, with praise, with song, with prayer. Trusting God to meet you those, in those places as He promised. Be tenacious about it. And again, does that mean then everything will just magically get better? No, again, verse 9. Notice how we're going back and forth. In the midst of his singing and praying, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemies with a deadly wound in my bones. Look how deep that pain is. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And let's be honest, this is where we feel like giving up. So many do, right? They say, well, I prayed, but nothing happened. I sang, but it didn't get any better. And they give up. Notice how the psalmist does not give up here. He keeps speaking truth. God, You are my rock. He speaks truth even as He still struggles. So why have You forgotten me? We have hope and despair coexisting in the same heart at the same moment. And friend, you're going to live there sometimes. Why am I still weeping? Why am I still crushed and broken and being tormented by these people all day long? It's not getting any better. Let me remind you of something that we said back when we looked at the Psalms of Lament. And this is a Psalm of Lament. We said that when the pain and sorrow begin to close in and feel overwhelming, you must immediately do two things. First, turn. Turn to God in your sorrow and cry out to Him in prayer. And keep crying out to Him because of that very cry you are turning to Him. Faith begins at that point. It doesn't feel like faith always. It doesn't look like faith. But that's where it begins. Notice how that's what the psalmist is doing here. And then second, along with that, bring your complaints to God. Bring them to Him. Don't hide them. Don't pretend you don't have complaints. You have complaints. Take them to God. Don't you see that's what He's doing here? I know you're my rock. So why have you forgotten me? Where are you, God? He says. But here's the thing. He is running to God with those questions, not from Him. That makes all the difference in the world. And then again, He begins to question Himself. Same words in verse 11 as we saw in verse 5. So, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you determined in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. He's come back to the same thing, the same pattern. Once again, He is praying. Why? Because this is still what His soul needs. It needs to wake up to the goodness of God. And it hasn't done so yet. This kind of battle is not a one and done kind of thing. I prayed it's better now. No, I may pray and pray and pray and find myself still in the dark. I may seek God and I'm still suffering these same feelings of despair. And so once again, I must compel myself and urge my soul and go to myself and quit listening to that lying voice and speak truth to myself yet again. Put your hope in God, soul. How long? As long as it takes. Which brings us to the third thing this morning. So what if the darkness still will not lift? Then, third... Keep pleading with God for His help until He gives it. No matter how long that takes. Don't take no for an answer. 
That's Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. For from a deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise Him with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Another thing you may remember we said when we are looking at the Lament Psalms was that in that time of pain and confusion as you've turned to God and made your complaints, you must then continue asking God boldly for the help that you need. This is a bold, persistent prayer. Verse 1 is written in the strongest form of Hebrew. He basically shouts to God, Vindicate me! Defend my cause! Deliver me from these deceitful people! These are strong prayers. Vindicate means, Lord, prove the worth of my faith. These unbelievers here, they're mocking my trust in You. They're saying it's worthless to trust in God. That is doing me no good. Show them how wrong they are. In fact, it's an interesting word in verse 1, ungodly. It literally means without hesed. In other words, Lord, these people don't even know Your covenant faithfulness. So why am I listening to them? I don't even know it. I do know Your covenant faithfulness. So I'm going to trust in You. Come on, Lord. Show them how faithful You are. Do you ever pray like that? Like like there's no other hope to Him, so there's nowhere else you can go? Are you willing to put all your eggs in that basket? I think sometimes we're afraid to hedge our bets, right? Or we want to hedge our bets. If I put all my eggs in this basket and God doesn't come through, then I'll lose my faith. Well, then that faith's already on the way of being lost anyway. Put them all in that basket. Call upon Him. Trust Him to do what He alone is able to do. Say to Him, God, if You don't come through, I'm sunk. I have no plan B. It's You or nothing. And I won't take nothing. Verse 2, He continues, He says, I've taken refuge in You alone, but where are You? Why do I still feel abandoned? Are you that honest with God? Some of the old Puritans used to talk about suing God for grace. What they meant by that is taking His promises in hand and saying to Him, Lord, You promised. It's in Your Word. If I've misunderstood Your Word, please correct me. But here's what Your Word says. God, I've got to have an answer because You said that You would answer. And they said that we then would press that until He comes through. Knowing that He will because we trust Him based on His own Word. And we keep on pressing that. Oh, Christian, don't give up. I think we give up too easily. I think we give up too easily, but in this battle of faith, it is not won easily in a dark world. It's not just a mechanical process. You know, three easy steps, push, pull, click, click, pray these words and miracles fall from heaven. No, it doesn't come easy. There are tears and there are setbacks. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. 
Can't you see that in this psalm? One minute I'm saying, come on soul, believe, and I'm encouraging myself, and I'm singing in the dark, and I'm building my confidence, and the next minute I'm in a puddle of tears, shaken and uncertain, wondering where is God? One thing this psalm shows us is that there's kind of a back and forth here. I'm doing well. I'm seeing light. I'm in the dark. I'm in the dark. God, where are you? I found you. You're there. I see a glimmer. I've got hope. I'm in the dark. I'm crushed. Lord, help. That's more how you live than the fairy tales we always want to believe. But it is upon that ground that we fight this battle. It is upon that ground that we kneel and we pray like He does in verse 3 and 4. Look at it. Verse 3, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Do you see how he's reasoning from his faith here? Do you see how he's not just letting the darkness Prevail. In fact, he's refusing to let it prevail. He's got hold of God in prayer and he will not let him go until he blesses. Like Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me. This is a tenacious faith. And again, he shouts his request to God in these strong words, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me back to you. What imagery? Light and truth. Light because I'm stuck in this dark place. Truth, because I've listened to so many of the enemy's lies. What is my hope? My hope is that God would give His light and His truth. Listen, Christian, He has given them, hasn't He? He has given them to us in the form of His Son, Jesus is the light our souls need. John 8.12 I am the light of the world. Why do you write that? Because we're so often in darkness. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're not just running to a principle. We're not just running to a need. We're running to Christ who is the light. And He is the truth that brings us to God. John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Implication, when you come through Me, you do come to the Father. And so God has shattered the hopeless darkness and banished the reign of lies by sending the light and truth of His Son. Lay hold of Him, dear one. Run to Him in faith. Shout His name in the dark until you hear His response. Let Him lead you back into the joy of His presence. And understand this. Understand that your hope, your hope is not in a change of circumstances. That's often what we're holding out for. Your hope is not in the circumstances. It's in the person. It's in Christ. What you need is Christ. Because having Him, you will have all you need for life and joy both now and for all eternity. In fact, look at verse 4. Boy, this is another one. You ought to underline this one. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, 
my God. Notice that again, underline it. It's not just that God can give you joy, it's that He is your joy. He is your happiness. So all of this, all of this pain, all of this confusion, all of this experience of suffering and darkness is ultimately meant to bring you to this place where you can finally see that what you need is Him and you can come and rest all in Him by faith. Psalm 16, 9-11 Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Listen, we will never be abandoned if we're in Christ because Christ was abandoned on the cross in our place. We will never be crushed because He was crushed in our place. We will never be cast away because He took that casting upon Himself in our place. You will not abandon my soul or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He will bring us home to God through the altar of His sacrifice, notice the altar there in that verse, where we will rejoice and worship forever. That's why this psalm can end with the same chorus here in verse 5 that we've seen already twice before. But I believe this time it's in a different key. No longer a cry of despair and uncertainty. Now with confidence we can sing... So why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. I know that I will. I'm confident of this. I will praise Him because He is my salvation and my God. Is that your hope today? Friend, can you sing this song with joy no matter how dark things may appear because you know the dawn that He promised is coming. I'm going to close with a few words from an old song. I actually heard this from Martin Lloyd-Jones in one of his sermons, so he's getting mentioned a lot this morning. Speak, I pray, Thou gentle Jesus. Oh, how passing sweet Thy Word. Breathing o'er my troubled spirit peace that never earth affords. Oh, this world's distracting voices. Oh, the enticing tones of ill. At Thine accent, mild, melodious, they are subdued and all is still. Tell me Thou art mine, O Savior. Grant me an assurance clear. Banish all my dark misgivings. Still my doubts and calm my fears. Lord Jesus, would You even now Tell us that we're Yours if we are. And if we're trusting in You, we are Yours. And if we will trust in You, we may become Yours. Speak to our souls Your comfort. Grant us the assurance in the dark that You are near whether we feel You or not. Banish all these dark misgivings we've held on to. Teach us to speak the truth to our own souls. Your truth. End our doubting. Calm our fears because we know that You're bringing us home according to the faithfulness of Your steadfast love. 
in whom we trust. Amen.